We started on our New Testament passage today. I want us to spend some time in prayer, and that's why I put the prayer time here. Last week was a little sobering. Two of the great ones went to be with the Lord. Fred Price died last week. Now, most of you don't know who Pastor Price is, but Fred Price was one of the greatest men of God in the early 80s and pastored the same church and his son has taken over the church now. But as a young man in the early 80s, Fred Price was very, very kind to me. I remember him driving me around in his car and I was so impressed with this man of discipline. He gave the most disciplined altar call that I have ever seen in my life. You come down to the altar, you put your feet together, you lay your bag at your left side, you raise your right hand, you split your two center fingers, we will place a card in these. The most disciplined altar call I ever saw, and that was their initiation to Christianity and the disciplined life of Christianity. Every aspect of their church was disciplined. I remember walking around with wide eyes. He was very kind to us as a church back in the early 80s when we had nothing and we were nobodies. He gave 20 motorcycles to our pastoral staff to help us do our visitation as we were just really beginning full blast visitation in those early days. But I think the thing that impressed me the most is what I learned from him in my time together with him. He went into a very poor area of town among poor people and he built the most incredible church and he brought people out of the chaos of poverty. He brought people out of the chaos of poverty into a a disciplined Christian life because they'd never grown up with discipline. And it meant so much to me because remember back in those days, we were all very, very poor. And I learned if people are gonna come out of poverty, it's like the people came out of Egypt but Egypt didn't come out of them. Well, people come out of poverty but the lack of discipline doesn't come out of them oftentimes. And he showed me how we had to bring discipline into people's lives, biblical discipline, scriptural discipline. And it changed my whole way of thinking about pastoring, about being a spiritual father and what it takes to bring people out of poverty. The other person who passed this last week was Dr. Cho's wife, Sister Cho. You know, when I I got the, the email from Korea that she had just passed, I looked across and told my wife, and she thought it was just fake news. She thought, you know, so I gave her a copy of the email. Sister Cho is about seven or eight years younger than Dr. Cho, maybe one of the most visionary women I've ever met. I mean, when Sister Cho talked, she just thought bigger than everybody else. I mean, yes, Dr. Cho thought bigger, but, but Sister Cho also, she just thought bigger than everybody else. I mean... She she would look at things and see the ability to develop greatness in things that others didn't see. And she was very kind to Sister Bev and me. I think one of my favorite memories with her was she decided one year she was going to take a whole bunch of our staff out for a private dinner. And so she treated our whole staff for this private dinner. And then she took a shine to Sister Bev and she decided that she and Sister Bev were going to go for walks in the park. And so we went for walks in the park and I kind of came along behind them as their bodyguard watching over them. An incredible woman of God. 
This was a sad day for the church of Jesus Christ, but a great day for heaven, as two of heaven's generals came home. And God will raise up new generals to replace them. Every new generation has new, new generals that rise up. Father, in Jesus' name, we don't come asking for ourselves today. I pray for Dr. Cho, Lord. He's always been there with a word of encouragement for millions. Let the Holy Spirit encourage him now. Let the Holy Spirit bring comfort to his heart. Father, I ask for the Holy Spirit to just come down and touch Dr. Cho and lift his head and encourage him in Jesus' name. Let strength flow back into his body. And Father, I pray for the Price family, for his son, Lord, that has taken over all this work. Lord, I ask in Jesus' name, give that young man strength. Give that young man that discipline that his father had. Give that young man the vision that his father had. Let the promises flow to the next generation now. Let those promises that were upon Fred's life flow to his son's life. Let those generational promises flow to him, Father. I thank you for it, Lord. And Lord, I lift you all of our seniors today. Satisfy them with a long life, Lord, and a life worth living. It shakes us up a little bit, Lord, when we see those just before us already coming home. But Lord, you still have a work for all of us. We haven't finished the race yet. Oh, lift the heads of the seniors, Lord, and show them fresh vision and show them fresh, fresh opportunities of things that you have for them to do. I thank you for it, Lord. And Father, I pray for all the young ones rising up among us. I thank you for a new Joshua generation that rises up, rises up to do great things among us and build churches all across our land. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's open up our Bibles now to the book of Mark, chapter 4. Mark, chapter 4, beginning with verse 21. And he said to them, A lamp is brought in and put under a basket or under a bread and not on a stand. For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, and nothing and nor is anything in secret except to come to the light. Now, folks, nothing remains hidden. Sometimes when people are doing all kinds of things, you just have to hold steady. You know, you can hold steady, you can take a punch, you can be lied about, and you can slander. It's all right. Because sooner or later, God brings everything out into the open. You don't need to be the one to do it. I don't ever want to be the one who destroys somebody. But God will bring it out into the open. If anyone has ears, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. Wow. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. All right, so here is a qualification of learning. Spiritual truth. ST is spiritual truth for me. Now, th this is the reason some Christians don't grow, because they never use what they've learned. He said, now, if you use, if, if you take what you learned in a sermon this weekend, when you integrate it and apply it in your life, 
If you use 70%, then you know what? 70% more will be added to you. But if you don't use it, I'm sorry. It's going to hinder your spiritual growth and learning. Why should God teach you more when you're not using what you've already learned? Now, now this is a great qualification for spiritual truth, for, for learning spiritual truths. And you got to get a hold of that. That's why, you know, you can see a pastor sit in a church for how many years, and he still doesn't know how to find the book of Jeremiah, all right? He still doesn't understand basic hermeneutics and basic homiletics and basic exposition. He, he still doesn't know how to preach. He still doesn't know how to get people saved because he hasn't used what he's learned. Now, whether that's a pastor or a leader or a church member, you have to learn to use what you have learned. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So here is loss of knowledge. There are many Christians that lose truth. You wonder why there has to be a revival of a biblical doctrine of truth, like the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, Pentecost, tithing, prosperity, healing. I mean, all the truths that got lost to the church through the years that were right there in Scripture. It's because people didn't use the truth. And when you don't use it, you lose it. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed in the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows, and he knows not how. Okay, we do not understand. We do not comprehend growth. We never will. We will never understand principles of life. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain of ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground, it is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. And when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air will make nests in its shade. Now, again, this is, this is the kingdom of God. It starts very small, but it grows. Everything that has the principle of life in it grows. Now, you know, when you don't see life, things don't grow. You don't see fruit bearing. You don't see growth because there's no life. All right. You know, they can claim life, but, you know, when there is no life, there is no, there is no growth. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to bear it. All right. As they were able to bear it. Now, here is, again, a qualification of learning. As they were able to bear it. You can't teach people what's too much. Okay. They choke on it, you know. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let's go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, he took them with, his, with them in the boat, just as he was, and the other boats with them. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. So Jesus was asleep. And they woke him and said, teacher, don't you care if we're perishing? How many times as Christians, when we were in trouble, did we think, God, don't you care? What an accusation to make to a God who loves you. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. 
And the wind ceased, and there was calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Two great questions. Two great questions. Why are you so afraid? And have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now, brothers and sisters, why would Jesus say, Why are you so afraid? Why do you have no faith? Because look at what he said here. Let us go across to the other side. He made them a promise. He made them a promise. So why are you afraid? I made you a promise. Why do you have no faith? I made you a promise. Some of you right now, forgive me, you're you're in the middle of COVID-19 and you've started to give up on your dreams and you hear this stuff that it will take years for everything to come back and you're giving. Why are you giving up on your dream? He didn't say, I'm going to bring you partway into this and then drop you like a hot potato and, you know, you're going to fail and be foolish. Remember with the people of Israel, he brought them out to bring them in. He put them in a boat and said, let's go to the other side. He means what he says. Chapter five, verse one. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. Now, this is the other side of the Sea of Galilee. So if Tiberius is here, it's over on this side, okay? This is the pagan side, all right? This is the Jewish section up here. And then this would be, eh, this would be a mess, all right? This is a lot of Roman stuff. They came to the other side, to the country of the Gerasenes. So, all right, they're over here on this side over in here. When Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. All right, so this is a type of demon. He lived among the tombs, all right? So he lives among death. This is why I get real, it really bothers me when I see young people tattooing skulls and things. I mean, the symbols of death are not something that are part of the Christian life. The symbols of death are part of the demonic life. He lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with the chain. So we have supernatural strength. So, so demons like to be in places of death, and they like and they have supernatural strength. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out, cutting himself with stones. All right, so he's tormented, and he is self-destructive. He was cutting himself. He, he, see, demons hate human beings, all right? We were created in the image of God. So demons love to get inside the human body and, and destroy it, okay? When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. Now, you got to understand, demons are attracted to the presence because that's the only place they ever knew rest before. And here's, here's God among us, Emmanuel, God among us. They're attracted to the presence. And crying out in a loud voice, he said, What do you want to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. So <laughs> Jesus 
tormented demons. Jesus was not only not afraid of demons, he never magnified them, he tormented them. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. So he was, this was a process that tormented. You cast demons out of people. You are tormenting demons. Jesus asked him, what's your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. He wanted to stay in the place of sin, the pagan side. He said, I want to stay here. I want to stay here among the people of death. I want to stay here among a place where people raise pigs. This is, this is a place that has no respect for God. I want to stay here. Now, a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And remember, the Jews would not be near any of this. And they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. And he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Now, remember, the people of Israel were never to raise pigs. So you, you go, why did, why did Jesus kill 2,000 pigs? You know, we eat pigs all the time. Well, in our day, under the new covenant, Jesus had declared all foods clean. But in that day, pigs were considered an unclean animal, and it was considered a great sin to be raising pigs. So Jesus literally killed two birds with one stone. He cast the demons out of the pigs or out of the man into the pigs and then the demons killed the pigs. Interesting. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country and people came to see what that what had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. So all right, notice. Before, they were naked, and before, they were insane. This was the appearance of this man when he was demon-possessed. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began, a here is amazing, they began to beg Jesus to depart from that region. They rejected Jesus. Now, these would have been Samaritans. These would have been pagan people. They totally rejected Jesus. They begged Jesus to leave. Now, here is the healer. Here is God, Emmanuel, God with us. The demons recognized who he was. But they rejected him. Never think that everybody really wants to hear about Jesus, because they don't. We keep preaching Jesus, but not everybody wants to hear as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed with, possessed with the demons begged him that he might go with them. And he did not permit him, but said, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. Two things, two parts of a testimony. Now, I want you to notice other people, Jesus had come follow me. But Jesus said, no, no, these people, these people need to hear. These people are blinded. They need to hear. So he left that man there, in spite of his great desire to walk with Jesus. He left that man there and said, go home. Go home, number one. Go to your friends, number two. 
and give them a two-part testimony. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and tell them how the Lord has had mercy on you. Notice, don't go preach bad news. <laughs> don't go preach nasty criticism. Don't, don't go preach against the Sanhedrin and all those people. Go tell people what God has done for you. Go tell people how God has had mercy on you. Folks, the gospel is good news. And they went away, and he went away, and began to proclaim in the Decapolis. Now, this is the region, Decapolis Deca, 10. Polis means cities. The 10 cities of with Bethshan, which we visit on the Israel tour, Bethshan is one of those Decapolis cities. How much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. So this here, this man is a pathfinder. This man became a forerunner for the message of the gospel in this whole area because he would obey. So later, when the, when the Christians were driven out of Jerusalem, it is absolutely amazing to me that this whole area was ready to receive the gospel. All right, let's open up our hearts to a little bit of Proverbs, a little bit of wisdom as we close out today. The woman folly is loud. All right, so always remember, foolishness is loud. Okay? You know, the bigger a fool is, the bigger their mouth. All right, you just, you just got to get a hold of that. Sometimes you wonder, you know, why are they... I mean, they're, they're talking so foolish. Well, the bigger the fool, the bigger the mouth. Folly is loud. Foolishness is loud. Wisdom is often quiet. She is seductive, all right? So foolishness is loud. Foolishness is seductive. And foolishness knows nothing. <laughs> Three characteristics of foolishness, all right? Three characteristics of foolishness. The characteristics of foolishness. <laughs> Loud, seductive, and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house, and she takes a seat in the highest places of the town. Oh, okay. Foolishness, and let's add some more. Foolishness wants prominence. Foolishness always wants to be first. Calling to those who pass by who are going straight on their way. So foolishness wants prominence. Foolishness targets those living right, who are going straight on their way. They're doing exactly what God wants them to do. This is who foolishness targets. Whoever is simple. So foolish targets those living right, number one. Secondly, Foolish targets the naive, whoever is simple or naive. Let him turn and hear. And to him who lacks sense, okay? People who lack sense. Now, now brothers and sisters, you've got to get a hold of this. Because there are people who are full of foolishness. They've got big mouths. They're seductive. They know nothing. They want prominence. They target people that are living right, walking in the straight path, the naive, and those who lack sense. Wow. The targets. Stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. 
but he does not know that the dead are there and that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. And notice, here is the bait. The bait of foolishness. Stolen water is sweet. Bread eaten in secret is pleasant. In other words, we can do these things and no one can see us. And it's so exciting and it's so much fun. That's the bait. Stay away from foolishness. And everybody said, all right. God bless you. We'll see you tonight, seven o'clock sharp, as we're back into the book of Romans.